Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you Sunday. I love Code Sunday because I love that we get to watch that video. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hey, God is good? About, about uh, 75% of you are still asleep. God is good? God is good? All right. Is all the time? Is he? Is he really? All right, let's go around the room and get testimony of it. Someone from the back, tell me a way God is good this week. In the back, scream it out. Welcome to church. Let's do it. We woke up this morning. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. That is true. Amen. Anyone else? Someone in the middle? How is God? His blessings are new every day. Amen. I know it's so scary to talk out loud, ain't it? <laughs> Anyways. If you haven't caught this, we're on a special theme here today, and I can't tell you that it was done on purpose, and there's a reason why I can't tell you that it was done on purpose, because I was actually supposed to preach today our fourth code, which is we set the stage, but for reasons being, I'm going to put all the spotlight on God, he decided that Today we're going to shift things around, and we're going to speak about we make war today, amen? amen. So we're going to shift it and, and move it around a little bit, and we're going to be talking about we make war. And war is special because it's not just about being loud. You've ever met someone that's loud, and it's just, it's just not tasteful? Okay, good. I hope I'm not that person. Whoever <laughs> said yes, I hope you don't look at me and say, it's you. You've been in a room, and someone's just loud, and you just look at them, and you're just like, shush. I'll be very kind with my words today, but just shush. Just do us all a favor in the room and be quiet for a little while. Amen? Just shush. I told my son, I said, Jackson, the loudest one in the room is always the weakest one. Lower your voice. When we talk about war and battling together, it's not just about being loud, but it's about being united. It's about being purposeful. And it's really about knowing the one whom we stand with in the midst of all warfares in our life. What I love about our code, We Make War, is that it's not just single, we make war. War is impossible if it's not done together. How does a nation go to war and say, we have the greatest commando? I mean, Hollywood blows up Rambo, and Hollywood blows up Schwarzenegger as commando, and You need each other for war. One man can't destroy a whole army. And warfare and 
making war is about a family. It's about a body. Amen? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today as we break down this code because it deals with being together. And um, I think, I believe that God is already speaking. He's, he's speaking through worship, and he is going to speak to us through his word today. I encourage you. Um, I get that for some of us, worship could be um, just not our cup of tea. We'd rather just get here for when the word starts. But I do encourage you to try to put your alarm up a little bit earlier. Set your clothes on Saturday night when you get home. Iron it. Put it all up. And then say, I am going to purposely show up on time so that I could come together with my brothers and sisters and so that we could make war in worship. How many of us could commit to that? Amen. It's not a rebuke or a correction. It's an encouragement. Amen. Let's do it together. Let's worship together. I encourage you to do that and bring others. Hey, get here. Come to church. Come on time. Haven't seen you for two weeks. I want you to be here and sit next to me for worship next week. I want to pray with you as we worship. I encourage you uh, to really tap into the spiritual things of God. And let's come together and make war together. Amen. The great Charles Stanley passed away not long ago. Charles Stanley um, was just a beacon. Uh, uh, his teachings have reached the ends of this earth, translated in I don't know how many languages. I've been able to walk in his ministry in Atlanta. I love his vision. I love the way he, oh, man, Charles, if you know who Charles Stanley is, you, 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 I probably don't have to give any explanation of Charles Stanley, correct? Charles Stanley is just such a biblical and wise man. He passed away. I only am in awe to see where he's at just in the presence of God. I could only dream to be where Charles Stanley's at after living such a long life and fruitful life here on earth. But I want to give you a quote from Charles Stanley today as we get into our code, and it's this. He says, a Christian has no right being in a fight unless it's a spiritual fight. And I think that's such an interesting quote of many things that Charles Stanley has said. I'll just pick this one today as an introduction today, that we all have a fight to fight. We all have a ring to get in sight of and lift up our fist and our hands. And the way we lift up our fist may be different than how the boxers do it. I told you right now, it's through worship, it's through prayer, it's through fasting. It's through a lot of these things and biblical disciplines in which the Bible teaches. But Stanley says it so perfectly that we have a fight, and it's a spiritual fight. And he's getting that because Paul said the same thing, and many of the apostles wrote of the same thing. And it's all over Scripture. In Scripture, Paul writes numerous times that we are in a war, not one that is fought in flesh and blood, but we are in a war against rulers, against authorities, against powers, against forces of evil in heavenly places or in heavenly realms. If you woke, I love the person that says that we woke up today. What a blessing that is. Another day to be alive. But when you wake up and you think that this is the only world that exists, I'm sorry, but I'm going to burst your bubble and tell you that this is nothing to the reality of the spiritual world, which is the real world that exists. And Paul speaks of it. In Ephesians 6, he tells us that because of this spiritual war, 
this warfare that we fight in, that you and I are to get dressed up as a soldier gets dressed up. Some of you woke up this morning and you put on your clothes and you came dressed up for church. Ephesians 6 tells us the same thing, that we get up and we put on the whole armor of God, that we must be dressed and equipped, dressed and equipped daily, showing us that our lives in Christ, and Ephesians shows us this, our lives in Christ is not a passive life. It's not one that is passive, but it's one that is aggressive, and we prepare, and we train, and we respond. We defend, as Rizzo did so well, describing the group of servants that are going to serve in defending. We defend, we guard, we attack, we are aware, we are discerning. If you don't have any of those things, I pray that you could begin to say, Lord, make me aware, give me discernment, cause me to defend, cause me to respond. Like, I I pray that you could do that. We don't live making enemies on earth. Many people love to do that and live for that. Let me see what I could find wrong now. Let me see how I could find an enemy now, but not the believer. We don't live to make enemies on earth, but we live fighting enemies in realms that are spiritual. We spoke about this last week, and I feel like this is why God kind of wanted us to go this route too. Like last week we said, here we are, and we battle against the enemy. We battle against darkness, and from one instance to another, we go from fighting the enemy in darkness to our very own brothers and sisters. We, we, lost, we lost aim. Like, hey, you're aiming at the wrong place. Fight back at darkness. And because of this spiritual world and this spiritual realm that truly does exist, then it affects us and it affects us physically in our physical reality. So what is wrong with our physical reality? Today we were able to pray for numerous people at 9.30. I do encourage you, as I just did, to get here on on time and to worship with us. If you want, get here even earlier for our 9.30 huddle is where we prepare ourselves for our service. And it was so beautiful to be able to pray for people, someone in the hospital, pray for one another. And that's what we do, that there's people, because of this man, there's a battle, there's a host of wickedness in this world. Then that means that we get what's happening here. Like you look at people and you find someone that is easily agitated, you find someone that is aggressive. I was looking at social media a few weeks ago and I saw a social media post, I think it was here in Miami, of a guy that cut off another guy and he has it all on camera and he shoots through his car to hit the other guy. And I'm like, what are people doing? Why are people living like this with so much tension, with so much pain, with so much aggressiveness, with so much hurt, with so much hate in their lives? I think we know the answer, and it's because there are demonic forces and there is evil that are consuming people's lives. Do you not believe in that? It's all over Scripture, and there's people who are hurting and people who are struggling In my field, I work with a a group of people that struggle with addiction. And each week, I got to see these individuals and talk to them. And it's sad to look in their eyes. And I could just pray, Lord, free them from their addiction, very serious addictions. And while they're holding their babies, I see that they're just addicted, addicted to drugs, addicted to so much. So many people that are lost and bitter, ashamed, confused. 
governments and earthly powers, we see it that are evil, prideful, with agendas to promote their own self-interest and desires. That stuff on earth, that's the effects from the spiritual realm. Why are people the way they are, the world the way it is? Well, we're, we're defining it here today. It's because there is an unseen world that is more real than this visible world filled with powers to destroy the image of God and all of His creation. So it's destroying family. It's destroying relationships. It's destroying what a woman is and what a man is. That's what it's doing. It's destroying God's very creation. Anything that God created and says it is good, he's like, oh, not anymore. Now there's global warming. Now, he, now, n- now there are different gender. Like he, everything that God said it is good, the enemy wants to come and say, no, it's not. It's not good. This is how it's good. And he wants to change it. Why change something that God already spoke and said it is good? It's, it's, it, guys, there are powers in this world there are powers and it's real. I'm going to read from you how Eugene Peterson writes down um, in Ephesians chapter 6. He writes this down in the message translation, not a translation that I study from, but in my preachings I like to <clears throat> reference it. He says this, that wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, And put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything that the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that that we will walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. We are not blind to this. As a church and as the body of Christ, we're not blind and we make war and we know that there is a spiritual host of darkness. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. He says, we are human. Some of us are looking around like, I don't know, there's some people in here that are sketchy. No, we are humans. But we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Like, like we are humans, but we don't fight the way they do. Our weapons, our agenda, it's not worldly weapons. We use God's mighty weapons and we knock down strongholds. We knock down and destroy every argument that lifts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen? So in a crucial moment that we're living in, Because we are, you're not opening up your television set and turning it on and opening up your doors and say, woof, today's, I mean, all around us, we're going to, we see that, hey, I mean, there's sin out there and there's darkness out there. And I had a great conversation with my brother before service started of, I just want to see what my purpose is why I'm still living on this earth. God's not done. God has a plan and a purpose for us still on this earth. The person that says, because God is good, because I woke up this morning, you're right. He's so good that you woke up this morning, and he's reminding you in that wake up, in that alarm, in that wake up call, I'm not done with you. So much more for you to live and do for my kingdom and for my glory here on earth. 
I want to read a, a, a passage. I'm just going to read through the verses, and I'm going to introduce some other things as we get through it. And I should be able to cover most of it today. But it was a crucial time. I've obviously taught this before as we've gone through our codes here numerous times. But I want to go through it again. And it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a very difficult time for the people of Judah. Judah has a king right now during this time by the name of Jehoshaphat. Maybe you've heard of him. And they're in the brink of war. King Jehoshaphat is leading the people of Judah and all the surrounding nations are coming to attack and to destroy Judah. And I want to peep into this time of the past of history and see how we can learn from it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, as they're about to war with all the surrounding nations around Judah, I want you to see something that happens. It says that they came and they said this, that whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, famine, we could come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored and we could cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. Listen to the cry of the people. Nations are rising up against us. War is about to take, to take notice here and to, and to take form. But the temple and the house of God is present with us and the presence of the Lord is here. And look what they say. Look what they're saying here. When the, when, when the worst happens, whether it's war, flood, disease, famine, notice what they're saying. We take place before the house of God. We know that you are personally present in this place. And we pray out. We pray our pain, our, our trouble. And we know that you will listen. We know that you will give victory. We know that you will rescue us. I want you to write something down in your notes as we're speaking about we make war. Write this down. The importance, it is very important of understanding this. It's important to understand that living in his presence, living in his presence is crucial in the time of warfare rather than running from his presence. Sometimes when life gets hard, people run away from God. That's not true. It is. It even happened to the great prophets. You destroy the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. 850 soul prophets destroy them. God gets the glory. The heaven's fire falls on the altar. And instantly you find out Jezebel wants to kill you. And the prophet of God runs into the cave. We are all we, are, we can all run from the presence of God at any moment. How many of you can admit, I've ran from the presence of God? I have. He's so good that he finds me even in my hiding. But it's very important to know that I need to check myself. Am I living in his presence or am I running from his presence? Write that. They say, Lord, whatever comes to hinder me. And I say the same thing. Whatever comes that I may come and stand in your presence where you are honored and believe that you hear me and believe that you hear us and that you give us victory. What did they say? That you rescue us. So maybe it's not a physical war, but it's a war in which it is internal. We prayed for many of you today during worship. Maybe it's an emotional war. Maybe it's a spiritual war that you are in. 
a serious battle, a serious struggle that you have faced or are facing, and you may not know it but will face, the outcome of those things are determined by the action taken when you are in the middle of those things. We've talked about the three Hebrews here weeks back. And when they were in the fire, what did they decide to do? None of you heard that message. They began to dance and worship. Can you imagine going to war against, against another nation and they come out to fight you, but they, do, they serenade you with some dancing? And, they, and they, what are you doing dancing? I'm dancing before the presence of God. This is what we do at wartime. The three Hebrews began to dance. Um, and I told you this weeks back. Do you dance in your fire? Are you dancing in your warfare? The outcome of those things are determined by the action that is taken when you're in the middle of it. Again, some things that you should write down to always examine yourself. So you could go back and read in your notes is this. Where do I stand during the great battles of my life? Write that down. Where do I stand? Where do I stand in those great battles of my life? Write this down. Who do I stand by during those great battles in your life? Who do you stand by? Their exact words were this. We know you are personally present. We know that you are there in this place. We stand in your presence where you rescue us. The, the people of Judah recognize, uh-oh, the nations are rising up to go to war with us. But what we've decided is to go to the presence of God because we've experienced it already where his presence is. There he rescues us. There he delivers us. They go on to say this. I'm going to keep reading um, from the same chapter in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But look at verse 12. In verse 12 they say, oh, our God, won't you stop them? They're speaking about the enemies. We spoke about the enemies during worship. We sang about those enemies. And, and here they are and they say, God, won't you stop them? Look what they say next. We are, a powerless, we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. Here's King Jehoshaphat, and here are the people of Judah, and they're terrified, they're worried, they're before the presence of the Lord, and they're saying, we know that you could rescue us, because that which surrounds us, we just sang that song, is too much for us. It's the same thing that the servant told the prophet, hey, it's more, more of them than it is, it is us. And the prophet looked at him and says, let's come outside the tent for a moment. Come outside with me. And he says, Lord, open this man's eyes. And when he looked up to the mountains, it says he saw the army of God surrounding them. He says, greater, greater are they who are with us. The Lord had to open up his spiritual eyes because all he saw was the physical realm. And when he got to see the spiritual realm, that there are a massive, massive warriors encamped around them, he immediately was at ease and says, no, we got this. If you could just open your eyes in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your physical hurt and pain, in the middle of that which torments you, in the middle of tomorrow's bad news, if you could just open up your eyes and see that the Lord has warriors that surround you, that greater are the armies of God than any army that this world could lift up against you, man, you'll be able to walk into those fires and into those warfares so much differently with a different kind of faith. 
And this is what happens to every single one of us. What does the enemy do? He comes and he starts to chip away to destroy our faith so that we can't see the things of God. Now, when we read the word of God, how many of you have been there? You read the word of God, but it doesn't have the same power in you anymore. You pray, but you don't have the same power and anointing when you pray. You don't feel it anymore. Some of us, it's been so, we've been so attacked by the enemy that our prayer life is dormant and it ceased to exist. We pray, oh, a quick prayer. We pray little phrases and we justify that as, oh, I pray without ceasing. And that's good to have a heart that is prayerful without ceasing. But when was the last time that we got on our knees and prayed for hours and interceded and wept before the presence of the Lord? Notice how the enemy comes to distract and to destroy the weaponry in our arsenal so that we don't become people of prayer anymore. And if we lose prayer, we lose intimacy with God. We lose conversation with God. And then we don't pick up the Bible anymore. We lose the weaponry in our arsenal. We lose it. And now when we read it, we get tired. Like, oh, I can't read it today. When we read it, we get bored and we turn on the television. When we read it, we can and we open up our phones. And we're so distracted. I want you to know I'm not a weird person. I mean, I am. But I'm not one of these weirdos that are always like, that, the devil did that. The devil's there. The devil did that. The devil made you sick. The devil's this. The devil, I'm, if you've done that, I'm not like that. But is the devil doing some things in your life? Are the, is the enemy doing some stuff to distract you and separate you from God's goodness? Only you could be honest with God and yourself. Isn't this beautiful? We make war, and here it is. What are these people saying? In your presence, you rescue us. And, and, and we don't know what to do. We're powerless. There's so many, verse 12. But we're looking to you, Lord, for help. That's what they say in verse 12. We're looking for you. You've ever needed help, and you just need to look for God. Because it's not in man. It's not in man. It's not in any entity it's in God. My help comes from God, and that's all. And I need to make sure that I'm focused on my help coming from God. Yes, I understand this code. We make war. But, 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 but this is what the people of Judah were saying, and this is what we're saying even still today. And here it is. What are they confessing with their mouths? Are you getting it? All they're saying is something that we all know already. What they're saying is this. We are weak, but you are strong. That's what they're saying in verse 12. We look for help in our times of weakness. How many of you have gone through a time of weakness and the only way to break from that weakness is looking to your help? That's it. You try to fill that weakness with everything and everyone else and it all fell short because God is like, hey, I am strong when you are weak. You know that the psalmist writes that in chapter 121, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Amen. Verse 12, Lord, it's we're powerless against such a mighty army. Let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 14. Check this out. So the Spirit of the Lord... So we're just going to read through this quickly. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon one of the men of Judah, 
They're all worried. They're all distracted. This doesn't look good for us. We're going to die today. You've, maybe you've been there. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my family. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my, my friendship. And you've been there. And here's one man. He comes up and he says this. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. What I love about this is that man didn't say it in his own strength, in his own wisdom, in his own intellect. The man said it because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. His name was Jehaziel, and he said this. Listen to this, verse 15. Listen, all you people. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says, not what I say. This is what the Lord says, he said. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, and now he's going to give them instruction. This is what you're all going to do. I'm going to go with you. This is what we're going to do. He says, tomorrow, march out against them. And you will find, this is going to be very strange, okay? Because God does strange, God uses some strange weapons in warfare. I hope you're ready for this story. You're like, oh, they're going to sharpen their swords because you like Viking movies like I do. They're going to go to war and attack them when they're sleeping. No, they're going to go to worship. Watch this. Tomorrow, march out against them, and you'll find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz and at the end of the valley that opens up in the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not need to fight. Look what he says next. You will not need to fight. (laughs) Hey, tomorrow we're going to march against them, but you will not need to fight. What kind of advice is this? Tomorrow we're going to war, but you're not going to fight. So what are we going to do? He says, oh, this is what you're going to do. Ready? Take your position. Say that for me. Take my position. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. I mean, what an amazing advice. Take your position. Stand still and watch the Lord win. Very simple advice. Take your position. Stand still. Now, I, one day, I'll, I think I've done this before, but I will do it again. I'll just preach on that one verse because there's so much in the phrase of take your position. Because how many people have removed themselves from the position that God's called them to be in? And then they walk outside of that position and then they want to know, what, why am I, where is this, where are we? And they, Take your position. Go back to where you were supposed to do. And then he says, stand still. When does someone stand still? When do you stand still? Stand your ground. When there's trust, I don't know where to go. This is where he told me to be. This is what he's saying. And I'm going to stand still. Why is that person standing still? Because all they need to do is wait on God to do something or listen for God to speak. And the next thing he says is watch. Watch for what? Watch God have the victory. Think about this. The person who doesn't take their position loses the ability to stand still in the place where you could watch the Lord be glorified and have victory. And you're seeing other people saying, wow, look what the Lord has done. And they're singing the songs of look what the Lord has done. But you've taken another position and you can't sing the same song anymore. It's because you need to be in position to take yourself and be firm so then you can watch again and see the Lord be victorious again. That's, 
That's what the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord told this man to tell King Jehoshaphat. I know you're a king, and I know you fought battles. And as a king, I know you trust in your great generals. And I know you trust in your great chariots and your great horses of war. But I'm telling you, king, I spoke to the king. And the king of kings has spoken and said, take your position, stand still, and watch me win this fight. You know what that does to that king? It humbles him. Because that king needs to recognize, I am truly not the king, not even of this earth. This is truly not my crown. This truly belongs to the Lord. He says, watch the Lord's victory. He doesn't stop there in verse 17. He says this. He says, he is with you, O people of Judah. I could almost say it to you, Nest. He is with you, O people of Nest. I want you guys to worship like the good old days and make them the good new days. I want you to sing songs like you used to sing songs when your first love was Jesus. I want you to read the word of God the way you used to read the word of God when your first love was Jesus. I want you to walk around your workplaces, your family, and your household the way you used to walk around them when your first love was Jesus. What am I trying to tell you, Nest Church? Go back and take your position and fall in love with Jesus again. Take a stand. And watch him have the victory. Fall in love with Jesus again. Because trust me, he has not fallen out of love with you. Fall in love with your Lord. He is with you, O Nest. He is with you, O Judah. He is with you, O Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But go against them tomorrow. For the Lord is with you. Come on, write that down on your paper. Write that down on your arm if you have a pen. Write it somewhere. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. You came to church today, but you haven't been able to say that in a long time. You haven't been able to believe it in a long time. Is the Lord even with me anymore? And here he comes, the Lord, right on time to tell you, the Lord is with you. Come on, who are you that has asked has asked yourself, is the Lord even with me anymore? And today he's reminding you, you better believe I'm with you. Be, don't be discouraged. Go and fight tomorrow and watch me fight for you. I am with you. I don't know who that's for, but who, the Lord is with you. You came in and like, no, and he's shaking you today. And he's saying, no, no, I'm more with you than, than what you could ever imagine. Make war in a war that is not even ours. That doesn't even make sense. You have wars, you have battles, you have struggles. Look what these people are going through. But are you getting it? It's not yours. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to fight it on your own. Write this down. You could be in a war and be isolated or be in a war and have company. You decide what you want. You want company in your war or you'd rather be alone? I asked you, where do you stand and who do you stand with in the times of war? Who accompanies you, church? I want you to invite someone into your war. And if you're going to invite anyone, make sure it starts here with inviting the Lord into your war. Because he's never lost a battle. All we can do is, number one, did you hear what he said? Number one, what is it? Mm. 
not, not convinced that you got it yet. Very sad and very scared that you haven't received the first instruction from the Lord. Number one, the first thing that we should do is take our position. All we could do is position ourselves. I'm going to start praying again. I'm going to start worshiping again. Again, I'm going to start fasting again. I'm going to start praising again. I'm going to start reading the word again. I'm going to show empathy again. I'm, I'm going to take my position. Number two, I'm going to what? I'm going to stand still. The very act of trust to stand still. I'm going to stand still. That means I'm going to endure. I'm going to withstand. I'm going to continue. I've learned in my life in doing ministry for so long, I've learned that, my gosh, I am definitely not the greatest in what I do. I'm actually very hard on myself and feel, feel uh, whatever. I'm definitely not the greatest of what I do. But I can say that the one thing that has held me is that I stood still in God. If it wasn't for God holding me still in the times of massive trouble, where would I be without God today in my life? I loved when you heard me share my testimony of when Jackson got sick that first night at four years old. My sister looked at me and says, dry those tears from your eyes. And this Lord that you preach and you believe in, it's time to you go to that hospital, hear the news, and trust the Lord that he is with you with whatever, whatever news you get. You know what she's telling me to do? Stand still and go to the hospital. Moments like that in ministry, moments like that with family, moments like that in my own personal life. And I know that every single one of you has a testimony like that too. Able to endure, to withstand, to continue, to keep doing what you're doing and trusting that the Lord will take you through it to stand still. Number two, stand still. And number three, what is the third instruction that God gave? Position yourself, stand still, watch. Watch my victory. The Lord never fails. And if you need to write that, write that. The Lord never fails one of his own. If you are a son of God, there is no reason for your father to fail you. Why would he start failing you now? He has never failed one of his own. It may feel like he's not listening. It may feel like he's not present. It may feel like he's unaware. But I want you all to know that the Lord is there and he is with you. You know how many times I've allowed my children just to go? Just go. And they're very far from me. And they think they're free. They really think that in their hearts. They're free. But what they don't know is that my eye is always on them. You know what's crazy? Because I'm a crazy father like that. Not only is my eyes on them, but when other people get around them, my eyes are on them too. I look at their behavior, I look at how they walk, I look how they touch my children, I look how they talk to my children. Why? Because I, no one else is, I am their father. When you go off, your father knows you. Your father is with you. And not only is he with you, but he's with everyone else that circles around you. And he's looking at them, and he's looking at their plans, and he's looking at their agenda, and he says, <laughs> I'm with him. I'm with her. That's who our God is. Write that down. My God has never left one of his own. Sometimes my children are there in the house. Dad, 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 are you here? 
Dad, I am. But I want them to feel like I'm not. <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> but I'm there. But I'm there. If they grab something dangerous, if they do something crazy, I show up. I didn't know you were here. What do you think I'm going to say? I've been here the whole time. But I didn't see you. Because even when you can't see me, I'm here. How many of you don't know your kids? Okay, I thought I was the only crazy person talking about it. I'm like, well, I'm really taking them for a spin here. <laughs> and God says the same thing with us. God, I didn't know you were there. He said, why would you say that? Because I didn't see you. And he's like, I've been here the whole time. Our God is a good God, man. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. How many of you could give praise to your God? Such a good God. <laughs> you know what did Walker used to say? Oh, Wendy, angels. What does he say? Come on, man, we're, we're in family. This is like a living room here, bro. I don't wanna, we're so structured as a church sometimes, we miss out on the blessings of God. What is it? What is it? Say it loud. I don't know. You know it. When the sky, when the sky was starless in the void of the night, our God is an awesome God. What's the next one? In light, oh, are you scared to sing? Is an awesome God. <laughs> The Lord wasn't joking when he kicked us out of Eden. It wasn't for, if it, he said his blood, his return is very soon, so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Yeah, our God is an awesome God. I got like five more pages. What are we going to do here? I think we're done. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed down low to his face to the ground in verse 18. And all the, I'm going to just read it so we can get out of here. I know you have 4th of July plans. Come on. Praise God that you're here on 4th of July weekend, man. Praise God. <laughs> that in itself is the hand of God moving that you're here. Amen? Why not? It's 4th of July weekend. You could have done a million things, but you're here. All right. So he bowed down low to his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, and they began to worship the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Jehoshaphat is not alone. He bows his head to the ground. All the people of Judah are doing the same thing. What do they all come to a place of agreement to do? Let's worship. Let's not game plan. Let's worship. War causes, causes out worship in us. And then we become corny and we say things like, this is no longer worship. This is warship. You know, we say things like that. All right. 19, then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud shout early the next morning. The army of Judah went out in the wilderness of Tekoa and on the, uh, and on the way Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, you people. Now he's brave and strong because the Lord is speaking to him. You people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. 
Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Your faith in war will enable you to stand firm. Believe in this. Verse 21, let's keep going. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers. Singers, I tried to appoint Tito to sing for us. I guess I don't have the anointing of King Jehoshaphat yet, but here we go. He appointed singers to walk ahead of the army and singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. And the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount, uh, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. I told you that the father looks and he says, I see what's around them. Watch this. I'm going to cause them to fight against themselves so they can't touch my very own. The armies of, they began to turn against each other and they killed every single one of them. And after they destroyed the armies, they began attacking each other. And when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, when they took their position, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. And not a single one of the enemies had escaped. Something that you need to know, we need to know well. If you've played sports, if you've been in anything that is competitive, you know that there's a greater celebration in our victory when it's celebrated with others and not alone. Greater victories and greater celebrations are done together and it's contagious. I'll prove it to you. One of us could stand in front of the, 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 the little window coffee shop and order a colada of coffee. Right now, we'll all leave this service. One of us, go do it. But if I say hey, every single one of us, we're going to go and crowd up that place. You know what's going to happen? People are going to start driving by, and they're going to start parking, and they're going to get down, and everyone's going to want to watch. What is it in that crowd? What's going on there? What's so good about this place that there's a crowd there? There is something when celebration erupts in every single one of us. It becomes contagious, and the ones that are outside are going to want to come in and say, hey, I want to be in the same kind of party that you guys are in. What song are you singing today? Man, I'm telling you, this happens. It's happened to me on Times Square. I won't say the story today. I was like, there's a crowd over there. There's a crowd over there. And I run over there, and it's a rapper doing a video. I'm not going to tell you the rest of it. He's doing a video, and he's rapping, and there's a camera guy in front of him. And I'm in Times Square, and I left my whole family. I'm so dumb. I'm like a sheep led to the slaughter. There's a crowd. There's a crowd. There's a crowd. I want to see what the crowd is. And when I get there, it's a guy rapping into a camera. And I'm just looking at him. And I took my phone and I did a gang sign with him. And I went back to my family. And I said, look who I just saw in a video. I don't know if I came out in his video or not. Crowds do something to you, you know. King Jehoshaphat, verse 25, and his men went out to gather all the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables more than anyone could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. And it's called that Valley of Blessing till today. And all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. And they marched into Jerusalem to the the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and proceeded to the temple of the Lord. They didn't even go home. They didn't say, I gotta go home. I miss my house. I miss the AC. I miss watching my TV. I miss laying out of my bed. I miss the pillows. I mean, they said, let's go. Let's go back home. And then when they get back home, they're like, let's go to church. Let's go to church. And the crowd is singing and the crowd is playing music and they're running into the church. Man, if Nest Church could get there, whew, we'd be a powerhouse. 
They marched in there with all the music, and it says, When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Come on, what's the war you're fighting? Write this down, and who's your company in your war? Some of you are in war, and when you look around, there's no one there anymore. Did they leave you? Or did you leave them? What war are you fighting? And who's around you? Amen? There's certain people in my life that I can't. As much as you want to cut my hand from them, I can't. Why? Because those people, we fought wars together. And I can't separate from them. They mean so much to me. Who is accompanying you in your war? We make war. Let's battle together. Amen? Amen. Worship team, let's close up. There's so much. I'm not lying to you. I have like three more pages, so I'm not going to get into it. But God is so good. Amen. Community, life is so important. In Romans, I'll read Romans uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Listen to these words from Paul. He's talking about battling, talking about warfare together. Look what Paul says. When God's people are in need, anyone in need, be ready to help them. Be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Some of you are like, I'm still praying about verse 14. (laughs) Well, it says it in the Bible. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. You're too high on yourself, you talk too much of yourself, or you thought too less of others. I've had conversations with people that say, I just can't stand the people of the church. We start looking down at each other. And we go to the scripture. And we say, yeah, but we, we can't think of ourselves any better than them. We're all brothers and sisters. Enjoy the company of good people, of ordinary people. What am I trying to say in everything that I've discussed and all the points that I'm trying to make? It's that your community is important. The community you build is important. It's biblical. It is needed. And get linked up with one if you have not so yet. Do it now. Mother Teresa. I quoted Charles Stanley and I went to Mother Teresa. And she says this. There's nothing more calming in difficult moments than knowing there's someone fighting with you. I don't know if Eli may remember this very dear to his heart, but this quote came from 1 John on a midweek service years ago that we preached on deep divine fellowship. And that, we still say that to each other. Deep divine fellowship, deep divine fellowship. Deep divine human fellowship relationship that is deeper than carnal stuff, that it's locked in into the spiritual things of God. There's deep divine fellowship that grows there. Amen.
I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And because we're talking about battling together, I might as well read some scriptures as we close. I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I read this a lot in weddings and in counseling. In marriage classes, I say this. It says two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together keep each other warm. How can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Now three, adding the Lord in it, is better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's community. There's more than just yourself in this war and this life that we're living the psalmist writes in chapter 133, he says, How wonderful and how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard and flowing down like Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar on his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. How beautiful it is for them to dwell in unity. Amen. Lord, I know that there's people that have battled, are battling, or will battle in their lives here today. But I know that you have said today that you are a God that is with them. Thank you for being with us. I want to be like Paul, that at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And he tells Timothy to stand firm. Keep the faith. So, Lord, I pray that we would be the same. I pray that we would be the same. That we would make war. That we would pray different, sing different. Read your word. Learn different. Do community different. Because we're called to do this together. We're called to make war. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the glory.